Welcome to a new boost for your mission, no more boring learning. This is the Brain Bakery Podcast. Welcome L&Ders, facilitators, teachers and trainers. I'm Ravi. Hi, Jana. Hi, Ravi. How are you? I'm feeling excited. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is actually quite a practical episode. We're going to be talking about a technique that is rarely used mm. and should be used. Yes. Um, and I think it's been around for a little while. Yes. So listeners, lean in and listen up. So let's start from the beginning, Jana. All right. So let's start with a little bit of a teaser. Make them hungry, as we say. Let me start with the research. So we're going to go back to 1989. We're going to go back to Marilyn Gist or Gist. I don't know how to pronounce her name because I've only ever read about her. And she's done training. Uh, and she's tried to measure the influence of this technique that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the training was for individuals doing brainstorming activities. And what she did was before the training, she did a baseline measurement on how good people were already at brainstorming. Mm. And she looked at two aspects of brainstorming. Number one, the amount of ideas generated. And number two, the variety in the ideas. So let me give you an example. Let's say I'm brainstorming. I have a problem. I'm thinking of what could I do? Maybe I'm a toy creator and I think, oh, I need new products. I'm going to brainstorm for myself because my old products are not selling anymore. And I'm going to go, oh, I could do a green crocodile. (laughs) And then (laughs) I'm going to go, all right, I could also do a red crocodile. So now we have two ideas, yep. but we only have one variety of mm. ideas because mm. that's, you know, the category is crocodiles in a collar. Yeah. So if I then go blue crocodile, I would have three ideas, but still the one variety. Yeah. So we, when we look at brainstorming, I, I'm sure the listeners know this, we always look at the, the amount, of, amount of ideas, but also do they stem from different categories? Because if they stem from different categories, you are more powerful in brainstorming. So what they did in the baseline measurement for the training is they had people, you know, brainstorm. And then what they found was on average, the people that were going to participate in the training had six ideas and four kinds of ideas, four category of ideas. Okay. So the six would fit in four. That was the baseline measurement. All right. Then they went into the training and what they did was they did an explanation what is brainstorming, what happens in the brain, how does it work. Then they did some practice, try it out. They would get some feedback on how they were brainstorming. And then they did the end measurement. And this was approximately a day's worth of training. And then they did the end measurement. And in the end measurement, they were very curious, will there be a rise in ideas or and a rise in the variety of ideas? And they were very curious and they did the test after a day of training and the training was pretty well built pretty well done and what came out was six ideas and four types of ideas so the results were zero improvement (laughs) nothing changed nothing changed even though they'd gone through and explained how it works works, they've tried it they had feedback yes (laughs) So this is also, for anybody listening, this is also a call out to you. Please measure your training efforts, you know, measure the the impact that you're making. But, so they said, what the hell? How can this be? And then she had already, of course, planned, uh, Mrs. Gist. She wanted to add something into the training, a short chunk of time. And what she added was, all right, we're still going to do 
you know, the baseline measurement. We're going to do the explanation, but then I'm going to add, and this is the technique we're going to talk about, a demonstration. Okay. Okay. So how do you demonstrate brainstorming? Well, the teacher, the trainer actually went in front of the group and went, all right, when I'm brainstorming about this problem, this is what happens. This is what my brain tells myself. This is how I would measure this. This is what I would tell myself. This mistake I would make, but then I would correct myself. They would just for 20 minutes demonstrate almost like what's happening inside of my brain when I'm doing a proper brainstorm. So she would demonstrate that and then they would do the same practice and the same feedback. So the only thing changed in the training that had delivered zero results was a 20-minute part of brainstorming. Okay. So now, rapapa, rapapa, did something change? Did it? And now uh, it actually, both of them doubled. So now people had 12 ideas and they had them in eight categories or eight varieties of ideas. Just by explaining what was going on and how she was using it and applying it. Yeah, and it wasn't an explanation. It was a showing, yeah. a, a demonstration. Yeah, like, look key. at me. This is what's happening with me. Yes. This is how I would draw. This is what mm-hmm. I would do. So the demo basically made the only difference. I love that. Yes. So demonstration works. Okay. So actually, there's three types of demonstrations. And actually, there's also reasons why to do demonstrations. Yes. Now, before we go into that, I want everyone to go to brainbakery.com. Yes. Go to the Brain Snacks. Get this so you can actually follow along. Yes. So let's start with the three types of I've demo. also it's added the link to that original research. Great. So if you want to grab that piece from there, just go and grab it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, let's, um, let's start with the three types of demo. Yes. So... Since that time in 1989, (laughs) there's been a lot of more research about how do demonstrations work. So what we now know is if we don't do a demo, even with something as silly to demo as a brainstorm, because, you know, demonstrating a conversation is smart and you should do it. But many trainers don't do it, by the way. Shauna, I think when you said it, that used that example, even I went, why would I demonstrate a brainstorm? Yes. Because you should know how to do that. Yes. Or you make that assumption, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, but also many trainers, when you're training something like communication skills, yeah. you want to explain the model, mm. then you want them to practice, and then you want them to maybe do a role play with, a, with an actor, yeah. but you never demo. No. And I've asked, since I've known this, I've asked many, many trainers, why don't you demo? And they go... Well, because it's super scary. <laughs> what if I mess it up? Yeah. What if I, you know, have a mental breakdown? <laughs> People are looking at me. I'm supposed yeah. to be the expert. How can I do this? Yeah. So this is also, a, you know, a request for people to start doing demos, especially there. When it's physical things, it's, it's quite, you know, people are used to doing demos. Yeah. But when, when it's about conversations or tryout or doing a sales pitch, as a trainer, always go. Show them how you would do it. Even if it goes wrong, they will still learn because there's three types of demos. So type number one is the one that is used the most, the one where we show perfection. So we show how to do something. So this is what we call a how-to demo. This is where we go, okay, when you give feedback, this is a sentence you should say. This is how to say it. I demo it. Yep. There's a second way of demonstrating, and that is way more powerful. It creates stronger neural pathways in your brain, and that is to show how not to do it. Ooh, 
Okay. So if I go in front of a group and I'm going to demonstrate feedback yeah. and I go, all right, everybody, tell me if I'm doing it right or wrong and tell me if I'm doing it right, what I'm doing right. And if I'm t doing it wrong, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I open up and go, Ravi, that was complete bollocks. <laughs> Why did you do that? Then the whole group would go, all right, that's wrong. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> they would know instinctly, they would know And they could explain to me mm. why it wouldn't work because they would see your response. Yeah. Your eyes go big. You get fearful. You know, they would go, Shana, that's not how it's done. That is a more powerful and there's stronger brain retention, stronger learning when we demo how not to do it. Do you know, some people would say, actually, if you show me how not to do it, I'm going to remember that over how to do it. Yes. Because oh, it's, it's yes. like driving, right? Yes. So you go, I took the wrong corner and then I corrected myself. But the next time I take the wrong corner again. Yes. And you kind of go, mm, so yeah. how's that work here? Yeah, this is a, a, almost like a brain myth that needs to be busted. Oh, yes. When you demonstrate something the wrong way and you show them, you know, you tell them or you have them tell you why it's wrong then they will not go for it again. You're actually demonstrating why the right is right by demonstrating how wrong the wrong will go. Nice. Okay. Yes. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the third type of demonstration is where you go from doing it wrong to doing it right. And that is the most powerful one. So that would mean, you know, my delegates are over there, my trainees. I'm going to show, okay, I'm going to try and give feedback to Ravi who's done this and this and this. Yep. Uh, please, You know, educate me. Tell me what to do. And they're going to, I'm going to go start off with Ravi. That was complete bollocks. Why did you do that? Bah. And they're going to go, oh, no, no, no. You're offending her. You're hurting her. Stop it. Yeah. All right. So, okay, good. We don't want to hurt. What would I say? Mm. And then they would go say, Ravi, I'm really sorry to tell you, but, and I'm going to go, Ravi, I'm really sorry to tell you. And maybe you would go, I'm glad you're sorry. <laughs> and <laughs> I would I go, wish. all right, is this working? And they would figure out yeah. how it's working. But because they've seen how not to do it, and then to figure out, create versus consumption, yeah. how to do it, it is way more powerful and the retention is even bigger. So that means if you have little time, don't do a demo of how to do it. If you have little time, do a demo of how not to do it. And if you have enough time, always do a demo of how not to do it and have people tell you why it's wrong, what, what it, how it makes them feel, and then do a demo on how to do it. Yeah. Shana, why do you think people don't do this? Why, why do trainers, why do L&Ders, why, why don't we do this? We think the theory speaks for itself. Right. We think we need to be the teacher and be distant. Like, I'm the professional, I know this. So, you know, me demonstrating it to you would be you looking at the master <laughs> and that would, you know, put the fear of God into you yeah. because, oh my God, that's unattainable. Yeah. But I think the main reason I've already said before, mm. we're scared. Yeah. We're scared of going out there and going, all right, let me show you a fantastic sales pitch. Trainers are scared to do that. Yeah. But we should, we should be prepared. If we are asking them to practice, yeah. why aren't we the ones going out and saying, oh, I made a mistake that can anybody see the mistake? And, you know, Use that demonstration for that. Yeah, I think because the thing is, there is a right and wrong. So, for example, if you're serving a glass of Coke, there's a right way of doing it and a wrong way of doing it. Yes. And actually, by just not mentioning don't do it like that, and you're just focusing on the right way, the attention you're saying is all in the wrong place. And yes. actually, what I should be doing is really highlighting and getting that emotional connection. Yes. So, if I put my hands on top of the glass when I'm serving a Coke, which the top half of a glass, yes. which actually belongs to the the guest or the customer yeah 
how does that make you feel? Look at the germs. Think about how it actually, who wants to put their mouth on that? Yes. But what you're creating is an emotion where people suddenly go, ugh, I hate when people do that. Yes. Okay, great. I've got that. Now, let me show you how How to do it. Yes. Yes. Because if you just show them how to put the Coke on the table, they'll they'll remember, oh, that is the placement where you want the glass. Mm. They don't know to look at the position of your finger yeah. because they don't have that distinction. They don't know that yet. Yeah. So if you just say, hold the glass like this, they think they could hold the glass on the top of the ha- yeah. top half of the glass of as well. Course. But if you show them, why should I never serve a Coke like this? Why do you think that is? Mm. They're going to go, ooh, I don't know where your hands have just been. Yeah. <laughs> so which germs are going to come into my mouth now? Yeah, because yeah. even if you ask them the question, do you like if someone handed you a glass like this? How does that make you feel? Yeah. And then they're working it out themselves. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. But before, they might have been serving their friends and family yes. Cokes like that yep. because they'd never thought about it. So they won't see it if you do a perfect demonstration. That's why mm. the how not to demonstration is more powerful because they go, aha, that's not the effect I want to create okay, what do I do? And then they're going to be more open to create, to to learn how to do it. It's where you're putting my attention. It's you're directing me to those key points, aren't you? Um, By the way, please do not ever serve me a glass (laughs) with your hands at the top. I will absolutely send it back. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I will ask for a straw. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then not a plastic one anymore. Just a a very... (laughs) Paper straw. Yeah. Let's save the turtles. Good. So let me go through some of the reasons why this works. Because there's a lot of science involved. How does looking at a how not to or a how to demonstration help our learners? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of excuses as to why you shouldn't do this. That's yeah. why these reasons I think are invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. So, great. Yeah, yeah. You use these when your brain goes, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. Use these reasons to go, yes, I should. Yeah. So, Excellent. Okay. So number one, and that's the, the top one, it enhances the self-efficacy of your learner. Oh, could you say that again? Yeah. The self-efficacy mm. of your learner goes up when they see somebody else do it. So observing a task being performed successfully Mm. will increase the self-efficacy because if I see you do it and I think you're a little bit like me, Ah. then I'm going to go, aha, you're a human being, I'm a human being. This could very well be possible for me. So it helps me go over that intention action gap that is always there. Like, oh, I think I should do this. Oh, I see them do it. They're like me. They're another participant or you know she's new at this as well yeah oh i can now see that this works yes so this works mainly when people see somebody do something that they have warm feelings towards that they think ah yeah yeah when you can i I probably can too got it uh then it also we've already mentioned this but i just want to say it again because it comes out of any research around demonstrations is it creates clarity it creates clarity not just Serving a Coke, we always turn the label towards the customer or the guest. No, you show them how it's done. You show them how their hands should move. You show them how not to move their hand. So you actually show, so it creates way bigger clarity than just going, okay, the model says give feedback in these two steps or ask for advice in these two steps or show uh, assertiveness in these two steps. I'm actually seeing it done. So it creates way more clarity than just the model. Right. Uh, Number three, what we also know now is it creates a bit of skill acquisition. If I look with intention to somebody else doing something that I know I'm going to be doing later, Mm. I'm also already pre-acquiring those skills. So 
my first attempt will be less less worthless or bad than when I've seen it already before. So I'm already pre-acquiring the skill and my first go will be better because I've watched somebody else do it. Yes. Then the fourth one, this is a very important one. It reduces anxiety. If I see somebody else go, all right, hang on, let's just try this, let's do it. And they're doing it, whether they're doing it wrong or not, I get the feeling, okay, they're not dying. (laughs) (laughs) They're not bursting out into tears. They're not very ashamed. They're just done. Okay, okay, Okay. let's try it. And even, especially when you as a trainer, and this is super important for me, when you as a trainer show how not to do it and tell them this is the mistakes I used to make, let me show you, then they go, ah, then you're not only saying everybody can make mistakes, mistakes are okay, but you're actually demonstrating mistakes, which is way more powerful than just saying, oh, it's okay to make a mistake. So the reduction of the anxiety is one of the big parts of doing a how not to demonstration. I love sharing my mistakes because yes. I, there's so much learning to be had. That's the whole point of making that mistake. Yeah. And then to be able to say, oh, you should have seen some yes. of the things I've done. Yeah. And people do. They lean in. They sit up and go, yeah. tell me ooh, more. Ooh. You're not perfect. Yes, yeah. I'm not perfect. Yes. Yeah. And then some people, some trainers share the mistake by talking about them. Yeah. But we also want to show them how we did that. Yeah. Yes. Demonstrate it. Mm. Yeah. Then the last one I want to say is the variability in demonstrations. So if I see many ways, like the participants around me trying something out and I have time to watch them, I can see variations and I can go, ooh, that one's close to how I would feel comfortable. That's one's not so close to how I would, I would never do it that way. She's way too extroverted or yeah. introverted. I'm not going to go like that. But because I see the variation, I can actually start mapping and plotting myself where would I be comfortable. Mm. So the more demonstrations I get, of course, not a whole day, (laughs) but the more demonstration I get, the more variability I see and the more variations I see and the more I can plot myself and go, I liked what she did there. Let me take that part from her and let me take that part from him and let's never do it that way because it it would make me feel uncomfortable. Creating again. Yes. Yes. So those are all the reasons why a training without demonstration should be you know, killed immediately. Mm. It should be, no, no way. You can't go on. I think the biggest thing about this is that you think that demonstrations only apply to physical, Mm. physical things. And I think that's the bit that's really resonated to me is that actually demonstrating brainstorming or demonstrating feedback. There's certain things I just think, you know, you put it on a slide or you put it on a flip chart and you talk it through but I've never really connected actually demonstrating it to get what you want. And then, you know, it's got to connect with efficiency. Yes. It's got to be an efficient way of learning and of training. Yes. So, you know, and then kind of going, here's your brainstorming. You've done, oh no, that's not what I want. Yes. Yeah. You could even go, all right, welcome to the training. It's all about sales. Yeah. I'm first going to do a demonstration. You can tell me if it's good or bad. Yes. There I go. All right. What were the things that were particularly bad? Okay. <laughs> these things. Okay, good. Let me take you into a model as to why they were bad. Yes. You know, connected. now I've connected with them. They have been able to open the training by telling me where I was wrong. So that creates a different vibration between you and the learner. Then you go through the model and then you're going to demonstrate again. All right. Point out why this was wrong. All right. Good, good, good. Now let's look at how we can do it. Let's, yeah. let's go to the, let's flip it to the how-to. And I think sometimes demonstrations aren't done because the trainer doesn't actually do the job. 
So yes. we talk about the theory mm. because that's what I'm training. But actually understanding the context, understanding the business. And it's what we talked about in one of the episodes. We said, be in their shoes, walk in yeah. their shoes to understand all of the challenges. Yes. Then you'll be able to do the demonstration. So sometimes it is about actually go and work on the floor. Yeah. So yeah. you can you can do the demonstration confidently. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a very big reason why people don't do demonstrations. But the highest reason remains, let me stay comfortable. Yeah. Let you, you do the, all the practicing. You do all the scary bits. Yeah. I'll just be this teacher, the sage on the stage yeah. who will share everything with them. And, you know, I'm going to be the great one. I'm not going to take any risks. Take the risk and demo. It works. <laughs> it works. It does work. And we all know it works because we've got it here. So don't forget to go on to brainbakery.com come get your brain snacks and in there you're going to see the three types of demonstration and then you're going to get the six reasons why we should demonstrate so the next time you're planning a training or you're in a training really think about actually can I demonstrate this the answer is yes yeah thank you for joining us on this no more boring learning journey and we shall see you on the next episode no more boring learning this was the brain bakery podcast want to know more Follow us on our socials.